Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. We're about to go into a message that I delivered recently, and I hope that it encourages you, it inspires you, and it launches you further in your walk with Jesus. That's my heart for you as you listen. If it does encourage you, why not share it with someone who you think could do with hearing it as well? And subscribe so that you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. For now, sit back, enjoy, and I hope that you get blessed. All right, well, I'm excited to preach this message, and um, it just was bubbling up on the inside of me in the last few days. I want to speak tonight about the dreams that you have. You know, all of us have this sense, all of us have this sense that surely I'm not just here for 80 or so years just to like wake up in the morning, go to work, go to sleep at night and do the same thing the next day. We all have this sense of, gosh, there's got to be more. And I want to tell you that there is. There is. King Solomon, who is said to be the smartest man that ever lived, he put it this way in the book of Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite verses, possibly one of the reasons that keeps me in pastoral work. (laughs) Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, that he, God, has planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart. A mysterious longing, which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Yet man cannot find out, comprehend, or grasp what God has done, his overall plan from the beginning to the end. A simpler version, because the amplified version is the wordy one says that the Lord has placed eternity in the hearts of all men and women. What that means is there's a God-shaped hole on the inside of every person walking the planet. And no matter how we try to fill that, we might try to fill it with square things, triangular things, whatever it is, but it's only God that can fill that void. And he has created us that way by design which means we can spend our whole lives trying to fill it like this is saying with all sorts of other things and get to the end of our lives and be unsatisfied, not having found the thing that we were searching for because it was eternity. It was Jesus. The heart cry of every person, whether they know it or not, is a relationship with God. And it means that whether we know him personally or not, we're all aware that there's something greater than what we're experiencing right now. And God made us that way. He put that knowing and that longing on the inside of us. You and I were created on purpose by a designer for a purpose. It's no accident that you're here. It's no accident that you're here and our satisfaction finally comes when we discover what that is, what that is, and we begin to live that out. And so we have this sense of purpose. Tonight, I'm going to call it a dream. I'm going to call it a dream. And sometimes, you know, life, life will actually always try to steal your dream. And that's the enemy because we know we have an enemy who doesn't want us to fulfill the plans and purposes of God. He's not just going to let you meet your destiny. He's not just going to let you be a powerhouse in the kingdom of heaven. He's going to do whatever he can to take that dream away, to make you substandard beneath the destiny, beneath the call. He will relentlessly try to take that dream away. You'll face setbacks, heartbreaks, 
You'll set, face bad reports. You'll even make mistakes that make you feel like you've disqualified yourself. But I'm here tonight to speak to someone and your life feels like the dream's been beaten out of it. You feel like you're now living a substandard version or you're not quite at that place that you know that heaven wants you to be. And I want to tell you that God's plan for your life still stands. No matter what's happened, no matter what you've done, the plan of God for your life still stands. Does anyone here believe in the God of destiny? Come on, raise your hand proud like a confession. I believe in a God of destiny. I believe in a sovereign God. I believe in a God of destiny. And so I want to tell you that no matter what's happened, your, the plan of God for your life still stands. No person, no circumstance has the power to steal that dream without your permission. The dream God has placed for your life, that's going to come under pressure. I can promise you that. I can promise you it's going to face challenges. And sometimes you'll wonder whether you're even on the right track or whether it was even God. God, I thought. You know, there are going to be times in your life where you'll be confused because the circumstances will try to tell you you were wrong. That wasn't God. That was a pipe dream. You're crazy. There are going to be times where you're going to wonder if God abandoned you. And I pray that when those times happen, because it's not if, it's when, you'll remember me up here. You'll remember that I told you those times are going to come, but the plan of God never changes. It doesn't fade away. Nothing and no one can steal your dream. If we keep our face towards heaven, God always has the final say in our lives. No matter what happens, we keep our hearts set on Jesus. We keep following him through every circumstance. Then we will get there. You know, Joseph in the Old Testament, you remember Joseph, the kid with a dream, the kid with like a hundred brothers and he was the favorite. He was dad's favorite. So at least as if that wasn't going to make him an outsider straight away, right? So all the brothers knew Joseph was the favorite. He was dad's favorite, and dad even made him a bright colored cloak. You know, like, look at Joseph. He's the favorite. And one night, Joseph had a dream. Do you remember? In the dream, he had these series of dreams, and long story short, basically, he told his brothers, hey, I had a dream, and you guys are all going to bow down to me one day. <sighs> Be careful who you share your dream with, right? So he immediately becomes an outsider, even more so. And they have it in for him at this point. So at first, this young guy is dad's favorite. But now, now, yeah, right, Joseph. You reckon we're all going to bow down to you? Well, let's see how you take this. And they decide they're going to kill him. And you thought your family was dysfunctional. <laughs> but there's one guy, good guy. He goes, hey, guys, maybe we shouldn't kill him. Good call. Let's instead sell him to slave traders. So they throw him in a pit and they wait for slave traders to come past and they sell him as a slave, as a kid. And then they lie to their dad. They dip his bright colored cloak in animal's blood and they say a wild animal devoured him and that he was dead. But in the meantime, 
Joshua's being rushed away in the slave trader's caravan to the house of a man named Potiphar. And he was a slave in Potiphar's house. And, and did I say Joshua? I meant Joseph. Joseph was diligent and hardworking and handsome. And so he was, he was trustworthy. And so Potiphar promotes him to the head of the house. Everything is in his charge. He trusts Joseph with everything except his wife, obviously. But because he's so amazing and the Bible says he's handsome, the wife takes a liking to him and she tries to seduce him. When he turns her down, she frames him for rape and has him thrown in prison. It's another bad day, really bad day. So he gets thrown in prison. Now he's in the bottom of a prison. So he's gone from dad's favorite to slave to prison. None of it's his fault. You know, sometimes we do things and we try to blame someone else or the devil, but it's actually just bad decisions. Like, just stop it. This guy actually did nothing wrong and he kept being put what would we would think set back. He's in prison and because even in prison, you know, even in prison, he's like, well, I'm going to make the most of this situation. He made the most in Potiphar's house and got promoted. Well, I may as well make, how do I do this? So he started serving the prison guards to the point where the prison guards put him in charge of the prison. He's a prisoner in charge of the prison. And he's still in the guts of a prison. And anyway, these, a few of the other prisoners start having dreams, weird dreams. And Joseph, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, can interpret their dreams. And he says to one of them, you are actually going to be reinstated as the king's chief cupbearer. And in a few days' time, this guy does get reinstated as the king's chief cupbearer. And Joseph goes, hey, buddy, don't forget that I'm in here. Put in a good word. And he's like, yes, I will. He doesn't. He forgets Joseph. And Joseph's stuck in the bottom of the prison, but not for long, because Pharaoh, the king, starts having dreams that no one can interpret. And the cupbearer goes, oh my gosh, I forgot. I know a guy who can help you. And so in, like, in no time, Joshua's stand, Joshua, Joseph is standing before Pharaoh, interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. And the dreams actually have to do with the welfare of the nation. And God gives Joseph really clear strategy from heaven. And he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. So there's a famine coming. And Joseph's interpretation spares um, the nation of Egypt from famine. And so Pharaoh is so impressed that he puts this 30-year-old guy in as the prime minister of Egypt. The prime minister of Egypt. And so the rest of the nations are in famine. Guess who's in famine? Joseph's brothers and father. And they all think he's dead. They have no idea that he's survived all this time. And so their father sends them in to Pharaoh's court to ask for food. And they get there and Joseph is now dressed up as an Egyptian. So they don't recognize him. He speaks Egyptian. He looks Egyptian. They come in trembling to the king's court and they're facing the prime minister who they don't realize is their brother. And they bow down. And the dream is fulfilled. Joseph cannot contain himself. He goes into another room and cries. And do you know what I love about that? Anyone else really emotional? 
In the margins of every Bible that I have, I've written, it's okay to be an emotional leader. (laughs) Praise the Lord. You just have to um, compose yourself in public. Joseph did go into another room and cry. And um, anyway, side note. Side note, just make myself feel better about being emotional. Um, And so his dream comes to pass, and it's absolutely amazing. Did it happen the way that Joseph thought it would happen? No. Was it easy? Was it like a walk in the park to that amazing moment when everyone's bowing down to him? No. And often, that's what we think. We see this vision, this dream, and we're like, it's going to be amazing getting there. I want to tell you there's an enemy, there's a plan, there's all sorts of things, but the Lord works everything together for good. You know, um, I'm the daughter of two Polish immigrants, and they moved here from Poland just before I was born. They didn't speak any English, and so my first language was Polish. And back then, we didn't have cute things like prep and kindergarten and that sort of thing. So my mum literally dropped me off to school in grade one, not knowing any English. Yeah. Have fun. My grade one friends taught me English. Can you imagine what they were teaching me? So they'd say, say this, I would say it, and they'd all fall over laughing. I don't know what they were telling me to say, okay? I was also, if you've seen, um, is it the Wog Boy? Is that the name of the movie? My lunches were like the Wog Boy lunches. Okay, they all had peanut butter sandwiches. I had salami and gherkins and sardines and I would pull it all out and they'd be like, what are you eating? (laughs) And so this was my story. I grew up not knowing any English and... I remember in grade one being dropped off to school and trying to tell my grade one teacher I feel really sick and he had no idea. I think his name was Mr. O'Sullivan. It's amazing how painfully you remember things when it's trauma. (laughs) Like you actually either forget it or you remember it really clearly. So I remember I was trying to tell Mr. O'Sullivan that I felt really sick and he had no idea what I was saying until I vomited all over his brown leather shoes. I still remember his shoes. (laughs) He then knew what I was trying to say. I remember locking myself in the toilet cubicle crying because I couldn't communicate. I know, it's really sad, so sad. So I was the ESL kid, English as a second language. Nowadays, my daughters are telling me they get so many perks, no perks. I had no perks, all right, at school. I was just the the weird kid that couldn't speak English and had to figure everything out. My parents couldn't read the letters about carnivals, so I never turned up in the right color. (laughs) Nothing. I never was doing the right thing. I was always the outsider, always. Everyone else is doing, you know, sports carnival things. I'm turning up going, oh, is that what we were supposed to do today? That was my life. And then at the age of about 11, my family started to break down. And I remember dad moving out. I remember mum then, I'm the oldest of three girls, and what are we going to do? Initially, my name was on all the private school, all-girl private school um, waiting lists. And suddenly, mum could no longer afford that. And so it was state school, which is fine. Um, but mum was like, well, I, I, wanted, I moved here to give my kids the best opportunity I could. 
So she had this amazing idea. I'm going to get Carolina into the best state school, which happened to be Brisbane State High. Now, we lived nowhere near the catchment area, which is the city. Like, we could not afford that. We lived in the ghetto. We lived in Algester near the train track. I'm telling you, my life could be a, a movie. And, and mum's like, well, I'm going to try to get her into State High, Brisbane State High. I know. I'll get her in on an English scholarship. <laughs> so what she did was she worked extra shifts so that she could pay for me to have an English tutor. And so once a week, I would go to this woman's house. Her name was Jeanette Littman. If you can find her, please find her for me. I've Googled and searched for her. Don't even know if she's still living. But she was amazing, okay? She, um, so do you know who Stevie Nicks is? The older ones would remember. The younger ones, Florence from Florence and the Machine. So like that, that gypsy fairy dress kind of thing. This was Jeanette Littman. And she lived in this Pride and Prejudice house in Annalee with antique furniture and flowing curtains. And, and her and I, every week, would do English together. And we would write poetry and reenact Shakespeare to each other and do all these things. And she had the most phenomenal handwriting. And if you've seen my handwriting, you'll know that's why. Because Jeanette Lippmann inspired me to have awesome handwriting. And she caused me to fall in love with the English language. So I submitted a portfolio of English to Brisbane State High and got in. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> ah, scholarship to Brisbane State High on an English basis. I went on to study journalism. And now I communicate and write in English as a part of the call on God, of God on my life. You actually don't understand how impossible it is for me to be standing here doing what I do today. And in those hard times, I'm sure my mother struggled to see God and how he could provide. I certainly never expected the heartbreak of family breakdown to be a propelling force into the call of God on my life. You see, what the enemy intends for evil, Romans 8 says, God uses for good. For we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God and are called according to his plan and purpose. And you might think, life's been really hard. I've been hard done by. People have treated me wrong, like Joseph could have said. Everybody in my life has put me backwards. That's a lie. That is a lie. You are not at the mercy of other people. You're not at the mercy of your boss, your parents, your upbringing. I want to tell you that there's not a single person in your life powerful enough to hold back the plan of God for your life. Your life, hear me, your life, your destiny is in the hands of God, not man. You need to stop worrying about who's setting you up or who's holding you back. Yes, God can and does use people to lead us along, but they are not God. 
They are not your determining factor. No one is that powerful. Don't look to God. Look to man. And when Joseph finally revealed his identity to his brothers, he had come to the most powerful revelation around all the hardship that he'd been through. I want to read it with you because it's so powerful. In Genesis 45, verses 4 to 8, this is what he says to his brothers, come closer to me. And they approached him and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into Egypt. Now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Listen to this. For God sent me ahead of you to save your life and to preserve your family. For the famine has been in the land these last two years and there are still five more years in which there will be no plowing or harvesting. God sent me into Egypt ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep you alive by a great escape. So know this, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Could we get to that place where we release people? Where we release people from the responsibility of our happiness? Release that person who you're holding at ransom because they let you down. Release that person who you think has disrupted the call of God on your life. Just release them from that responsibility. It will set you free. It will set you free. Yes, God can use people, but they're not the limiting factor on your life. God knows and sees you when you're in the pit, when you're in the prison, when you're in the parched wilderness. In fact, he does his best work of training in those places. If you just had a silver spoon in your mouth the whole time, you would never be strong enough to be the prime minister of Egypt. Allow him Allow him to do a great work in you, no matter what's going on, no matter what's, who's sold you out. He hasn't forgotten you. He's working things out. You're going to see favor. Things are about to start turning around. God is making a way for you. Don't give up. Don't compromise. Don't faint in your heart or in your mind. Keep your heart right. Keep your eyes on heaven. Keep the dream alive. Focus on Jesus. Be the best you can be no matter what the circumstance looks like. And God will have the final say every single time. You might say, well, my past is tarnished. Like Joseph was pretty squeaky clean. Joseph didn't do anything wrong. But I have. My friend... I know that story. You go, I've done stuff. I've got real ugly behind me. And I want to tell you, that's a lie of the enemy too. That's a lie of the enemy. The great deliverer Moses, who God called his friend, was a murderer. Anyone murdered anyone? No? Please don't raise your hand if you have. I'm legally obliged. <laughs> the greatest king to ever live, David, was an adulterer. Don't raise your hand. The father of the faith, Abraham, was impatient and he was a liar. The great champion apostle Peter was impulsive and violent. Cut a guy's ear off. Anyone? <laughs> the father of the early church, 
The person who wrote most of the New Testament was a hired assassin against Christians. If you think you've done bad stuff and God can't use you, you're listening to the enemy of your soul who's trying to stop the plan of God for your life. The only thing that those successful ministers of the kingdom had in common is a repentant heart. God can do anything with a repentant heart. Anything. And his love for you is inextricably connected to your purpose. He loves you and he has a plan for you. You know, your mind might tell you, well, I'm too young to do anything right now. I'm inexperienced, I'm untrained, but that's not true either. Esther, who saved a whole nation, was an orphan teenage girl. Saved a whole nation. Joseph, uh, Jesus' mother Mary was an unwed teenager. Did you know Timothy, who Paul writes to? He ran a mega multi-site church in the thousands. They say he was between 18 and 25. What are you doing with your life? And most, actually all of Jesus' disciples except one was a teenager. I remember when we moved here, sorry Maya, when we moved here, sometimes I offer to pay them to tell stories about them. <laughs> she was eight years old and, um, and she got here and she was like, you know what mum, I'm going to improve the kids' ministry, eight years old. I was like, really? She goes, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to start kids' crew. I'm going to lead the junior leaders. I was like, oh, that's a big responsibility. Uh, you know, mother's heart trying to protect her. I don't know if you should do that. She goes, mum, Josiah was eight years old when he took over the kingdom. I think I can run kids' crew. Your age or stage doesn't limit you. You might think I'm too old. Odds are impossible, it's too late for me. I want to tell you, Abraham was 100 when he got started. <laughs> Caleb was 80. Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83 when they first spoke to Pharaoh. He's the God of reinvention. And C.S. Lewis said that there are far greater things ahead of us than anything we leave behind. You're never too old, too young, too bad, too mis treated, no person, no circumstance, no limitation can limit what God wants to do in your life. But your mind will try to tell you all sorts of things. Your circumstances will try to tell you all sorts of things. And you've got to realize whose signature is on all of that. It's the enemy, the one who knows your destiny, the one who knows you're potent with heaven's potential, the one who does not want you to rise up and fulfill the call that's on your life, and you just have to rise above that. We need to know what God says about us, not what our circumstance says, not what the enemy says. We need to know what God says. You need to know his word, love his word, speak his word over your life daily. Colossians 3 verse 2, set your mind and keep it focused habitually. Some of our mental habits are in the wrong direction. 
But set your mind and keep it set habitually on the things that are above, the heavenly things, not the things that are on the earth, which only have a temporary value. Make up your mind and keep it set. What is the call of God on your life? Because Jeremiah 29, 11, the Lord is saying, I know the plans and thoughts that I have for you plans for peace and well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Will you stand to your feet tonight? I want to tell you that the best is still ahead of you. The best is still ahead of you. Your life is in the hands of an all-powerful, almighty, generous, faithful, sovereign God. Your life is in His hands and His resources outweigh any resource you can imagine. And he will use the most unlikely methods. You're called to great things. Your future is brighter than you imagine. What God has for you would blow you away if you knew all of it. And I just want to speak destiny over our church. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well? Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.